You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. We want to know Jesus better. We want to love Jesus more. And we want to serve Jesus greater. That's been the, the theme throughout all these many months of looking at the book of Hebrews. And so hopefully we've uh, seen that happen in our lives. Hopefully the letter of Hebrews has challenged us in those areas. And we're going to see today even uh, as we kind of focus on that last one of serving Jesus greater, how these ending words from the author of Hebrews uh, challenges us in that way. Beginning verse 20, if you will. We'll read through 25, but again, we're going to really focus today on verses 20 and 21. He writes this in conclusion. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. My guess is we've not considered it so brief as we've gone through it for a year, but you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. We want to focus today on verses 20 and 21 and the idea behind it here is understanding the power of this eternal covenant the blood of the eternal covenant is the way he calls it and and really verses 20 and 21 uh, all the things center around that phrase this blood of the eternal covenant it's what we remember today as we go through the Lord's Supper in just a little while we are remembering Christ's sacrifice the shedding of his blood For this new covenant that was prophesied back in Jeremiah 31. That God would make a new covenant with his people. That he would, it would be a covenant based on from the inside out, not the outside in. Not from rules and regulations, but from a changed heart and a changed life. And so today as we look at verses 20 through 21, I want us to see three things gained from this blood of this eternal covenant. The first thing is the peace that we have. Look again at verse 20, how he begins. Now may the God of peace. This is a very distinct sort of Paul phrase, which is why some believe that Paul or perhaps someone familiar with or someone who was a co-worker with Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Paul uses that phrase, God of peace, uh, in, in some way, shape, or form seven times through his other letters. But it's an an understanding, it's a phrase that this God of peace is at work in our lives by virtue of the work of Christ on the cross. Some other places in scripture that help us understand exactly what is being intended here is a place like Romans 5.1, for example, where Paul writes, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writing in Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20 about the the supremacy of Christ says this, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so peace with God is a direct result of what Jesus has done on the cross for all who would believe. 
There's a peace with God that we have. What is meant by this God of peace phrase is that he is the source of peace. He is the producer of peace. He is the giver of peace. Jesus making this connection with God to, to help us to see that he was God in the flesh spoke, for example, in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And so we understand that through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus, there is a peace that we have with God that is perfect. And by it being by the blood of the eternal covenant, it is a peace that is forever. That is why when we seek to find any other source or any other means or any other way of peace, it always falls short. It might temporarily bring you peace. It might for a fleeting moment or two in your life bring you peace. But ultimately, it will fall short. And again, this is all connected with, this is all centered around in this phrasing in verses 20 and 21, this blood of the eternal covenant. Because without the forgiveness of sin, there is no peace between man and God. Without my sins and your sins being washed clean, without my sins and your sins being, being destroyed, being forgotten, being atoned for, Without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no peace. The Bible speaks of it in these terms as well. Uh, and when it talks about reconciliation, that we've been reconciled to God. When two human beings are at odds with one another and they come together to talk things out and forgive one another and restore their relationship, they are reconciled to one another. And what was, what was, prim, uh, what was primarily discomfort and, and, and outrage and anger and whatever else it may have been between the two, now becomes peace and it's the same thing between mankind and God through the cross of Jesus Christ we now have peace we now have a relationship with this God of peace through Jesus the second thing it brings us is an understanding of the power of this resurrected Jesus look again at what it says in verse 20 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So he's speaking of, again, something that is a result of Christ's work on the cross. It's an important connection for us to make. That Christ's resurrection is genuinely tied to Christ's death on the cross. They are not separate events, though they occurred separately in time. But they are connected to one another. This is the only a very clear um, passage in Hebrews that actually speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. But throughout Hebrews, he's been writing things that certainly helped us to understand he knew that Jesus was alive. I'm just going to read a few for you. An example coming back from uh, beginning at chapter 1 verse 3 as he spoke of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's speaking of Jesus being a living individual in that moment. In Hebrews 4, 14, as he's writing about the great high priest, he says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession." He's speaking of Jesus doing an active, living work in that setting. He says it again in Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. The point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. 
a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And so although this is the only place in Hebrews where he distinctly uses the word resurrection, all along the author has been pointed to this resurrection Jesus. He's all been pointing all along to this idea that Christ did not merely die for our sins, but that he was then raised. And because he's raised, that makes a difference. Part of the reason it makes a difference, again, is because it's connected to that phrase, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What that tells us, what that teaches us, along with other places in the Bible, is that the resurrection proves that God accepts Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The resurrection proves that God viewed Christ's sacrifice as being worthy to forgive sins and give new life. In, he, in Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, this is the way he said it. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all in the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In Romans 4, 22 through 25, this is the way Paul writes it. That is, he's talking about Abraham. He says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words counted to him were not written for him alone, but for us also, it will be counted to us who believe, in, who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, went to the cross for our trespasses, for our sins, and was raised, brought out of the grave for our justification. That word justification is that churchy theological word that we sometimes use to say the Bible means it teaches that we are made right with God. We are declared not guilty with God. And this is why it helps us to understand here the cross and the resurrection are a package deal. He went to the cross for my sin and your sin. He sacrificed himself willingly. He shed his blood. But we were not justified solely on the base of the cross. Paul says we become justified because he was raised. The resurrection proves that God took the blood on the cross and said yes to Christ's sacrifice. This is the way Paul challenged the Corinthian church to understand it in 1 Corinthians 15 as he deals with the resurrection. In verse 17 and following, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not resurrected, the, the faith that you and I have and share and display is, is, is worthless. And we're still in our sins. And he says, and, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, they've just ceased to exist. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. If you and I are going through this life declaring a faith in Jesus Christ, declaring a, a hope for his return, declaring a hope for the eternal life that we have with him, if we're declaring all that and living that and, and making sacrifices of ourselves in this life, if we're doing all that and Christ has not been raised, then it's worthless. But the God of peace has raised him. He has raised him, and in raising him, he has shown that Christ's work on the cross is complete and is accepted. And there's a third thing here out of these two verses I want us to see. I'm going to read it again, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, 
you wanted to insert this so it makes clearer sense, may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The blood of the eternal covenant that secures our justification, the resurrection of Jesus that secures our justification, then moves to the God of peace now equipping us. This word uh, equip is a a word that means to be made complete or to be made perfect. Um, It's a word that can also be used to uh, describe fixing something or, or healing something that is broken so that it can serve its purpose. In Mark's gospel... When Jesus comes along and begins to call the disciples, in Mark 1.19, it says that he found them, quote, mending their nets. They were fixing their nets so that their fishing nets would be able to serve the purpose uh, that, that they needed to serve. That's the same, even though it's a different English word, that's the same Greek word here that's used for equip. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, through the resurrection of Jesus, God is equipping, mending, fixing, bringing us to completion and purpose. And he's doing that so that we may do, according to the scripture, his will. There's two places in the Bible that really talk about this equipping. One is here in Hebrews where God is doing the equipping. The second place is in Ephesians 4. As Paul is writing about unity in the body of Christ in the larger scheme of Ephesians 4. But he says this, beginning verse 11. He, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which is a word for pastor here, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so there's two distinct teachings on equipping within the Bible. One is here in Hebrews 13 that God equips He is making you whole. He is fixing you. He is making you perfect. He is making you complete. Um, We often talk about it really in these terms of spiritual gifts. God has equipped you with spiritual gifts to teach, to lead, to serve. I believe it goes further than that. God has given you natural, what we might call natural abilities or, or talents to also be used for his glory and for his kingdom. God equips you, then he places within the church people who are supposed to help equip you. Supposed to help you realize those things and find those things and, and see those things in your life and then give you outlets to, to serve and to work. And the way Paul writes it in Ephesians 4 is to serve or work for the ministry of the church. So God does an equipping through the blood of the internal covenant. He then has people within the church do that. God provides the gifts and the tools. The people within the church are to help you discover and use the gifts and the tools. But there has to be a want to. There has to be a want to among God's people. To realize these two great truths that come out of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That God has equipped us and that he's then leading people to help equip us to service in his ministry and his mission in his kingdom. There has to be a want to. And when we are equipped to do his will, one aspect of that is the serving. I was having a discussion this week with an individual and we were talking about missionaries and missionary work and 
the question was this, that it seems like within the church that when someone goes off to be a missionary, whether it's across the country or around the world or whatever else, we sort of put them on a way high pedestal. And, and certainly it, it, it's a sacrifice to pack up your family and move cross country or to move to a, a different country altogether. There's no doubt that's, that's a genuine sacrifice. But we were talking about why does it seem like those pe- persons get kind of placed up here and, and have that, that sort of thought about them. And, and as we talked, I said, I think one of the reasons is because most people in the church don't view themselves as missionaries. And the reality is whether you move across the country or whether you walk across the street, you are a missionary. God has equipped you. The church hopefully is equipping you. And displaying and helping you find and display your talents, your gifts, the way God has made you. And so uh, even though the sacrifice to walk across the street or to walk across the aisle to the, to the cubicle or the office next door or, or any, any other situation you might imagine in everyday life, even though that may not have the same degree of sacrifice as packing up your family and moving, in God's kingdom it is of equal importance. And the church has to start to realize this. That today, in just a moment, when we observe this, we're remembering his death. We're remembering, we're, we're remembering it, as I told the praise team this morning when they took it. We're remembering it with an eye towards resurrection because they are a package deal. And through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, you've been made to be a servant. You've been made to be a missionary. You've been made to see where it is God equips you and how the church helps equips you, equip you, hopefully, to then go and serve. I, I, I don't think there's much as a pastor that I'm not called to do. If there's something that needs to be done and I can do it or help do it, I, I like to do it. But there's one job I don't think I'd want here. He doesn't know I'm going to say this, so hopefully he doesn't get mad at me. But I don't think I'd want to be the volunteer missions coordinator. James serves in that role right now. Ed was serving that role when I first came. This is a, a sheet that I put together about two and a half years ago as I was working with James on trying to help positions get filled and then COVID hit and we really haven't looked at it much since then. But do you know that on this sheet between the Constitution and bylaws and then every other extra little piece of paper that we have in this church that details volunteer ministries, you know there's 72 positions that need to be filled? And of those 72, many of them are multiple-person positions. So nominating committee, committee on committees, audio-video committee. There's, there's positions that require multiple people. 72 in a church that since 2011 has averaged about 85 on Sunday morning. We need people. We need people to understand that God has equipped them. And that we are here to help equip you to serve. Now, now I get it. I understand it. There are seasons in life where that's difficult. There are seasons in life where life happens, where traumatic things happen. We, we encounter disease and illness and sickness. And, and honestly, sometimes age just kind of catches up with us maybe, right? I understand that. But the life of the Christian should be marked by at least in some way, shape, or form in their life realizing that God has equipped them and that the church exists to equip them to do something. 
And this is not just a providence issue. Throughout three churches now that I've served in, the adage remains pretty much true. About 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. That is not a biblical perspective. That is not a kingdom perspective. And what happens is when we don't say, okay, God, how have you equipped me? Or we don't go to, to leadership in the church and say, hey, how am I equipped to serve? Or, or where can I serve with the equipping that I have? When we don't do that, we're robbing the kingdom. We preach all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but probably in your life. You've had preaching and teaching all the time. Of, when you don't tithe, you rob the kingdom. When you don't serve, you rob the kingdom. And I'm not doing this angrily. I'm not doing this as a stomp my foot and y'all get your stuff together. I'm doing this as a plea from Scripture to recognize that in just a moment when we take what represents the body and the blood, you, we are saying, I have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I am saved by him. I am, I am raised to justification, to righteousness by his resurrection. And in saying that, it can't just be, I'm taking this today, also I don't have to go to hell. It has to be, I'm taking this today because God has made me an integral part of his kingdom. And understanding that doesn't mean you have to serve 20 places. But understanding that means wherever you serve, you serve wholeheartedly as to the Lord. Because he's equipped you. He's given you talents, abilities, spiritual gifts. And he does so for the purpose and the mission of the kingdom of God. In that same conversation this week about missionaries, what I said to this individual as well was this. Back in the early 2000s when I was in school, and I don't know if there have been additional studies done since then or not, but in one of my evangelism classes, the professor said this, that in America at that time, it was largely considered that before a person came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they had 10 exposures to the gospel. So if your exposure three or five or seven, and you're not serving, you're not recognizing how God's equipped you, you're not stepping into the equipping he's given you, that delays that person's response to the gospel. And see, so many of us are just so results-oriented that we just want to be number 10. We want to be the persons that see the people drop to their knees and repeat the prayer and say yes to Jesus. But without persons 1 through 9, number 10 never sees it. And through the blood of the eternal covenant, through the resurrected Jesus, he's equipped us to be all 1 through 10. And the question is, will we do it? By the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, you have peace. You have peace with God. You have a resurrected Jesus called here the great shepherd of the sheep. Those of you familiar with John's gospel remember him being called the good shepherd. But the writer of, Elevate, of Hebrews here elevates him. He's now the great shepherd of the sheep because now he sits at the right hand of God. Now he's interceding daily on our behalf. Now he is responsible for the equipping. We have the resurrected Jesus desiring to work through us the gifts and the talents God has equipped you with for his glory. So today as we begin to get ready to take the elements, 
be reminded, with taking the elements, we're making the declaration. We're making a declaration that we say yes to Jesus. That we say yes to Jesus, and saying yes to Jesus means he is Lord and Savior. He does not get to save you now and become your Lord 20 years down the road. That's a faulty teaching that I was exposed to when I was in church that should be stricken and banished forever. He becomes Savior and Lord, which means your life is now no longer your own. My life is now no longer my own. And he has called and equipped us for the purposes of his kingdom. We've known him better, hopefully, through Hebrews. Hopefully, we're knowing him more and more every day. We've, we're loving him better, hopefully, through our study of Hebrews more and more every day. Hopefully, we'll serve him greater. Because there's no sacrifice of time. There's no sacrifice of effort. There's no sacrifice of energy. There's no sacrifice of anything you, I, or anybody else in God's kingdom can give up that has not been equipped for such a sacrifice. As we take the elements today, be reminded of his peace. Are you walking in it? Are you living in it? Is it a struggle to find it? It's a struggle to find it. Ask him today as we get ready to take the elements of the Lord's Supper and remember. Ask him, where's peace lacking and why is it lacking? And The letter of James says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask and God will give it. There's wisdom needed to know where peace is lacking in our lives. And be challenged to serve. For by the blood of the eternal covenant through the great shepherd of the sheep, you have been equipped to make a difference in the church's life, in the life of your community, in the life of your family, in the life of your business, in the life of your school, and on and on and on and on. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.